0: Hello and welcome to the 7Sage Podcast. My name is J.Y. Ping, and today we're bringing you an emissions episode. You'll be hearing David Buses, who runs 7Sages Emissions Consulting, speak with Julian Morales, who is the Director of emissions at Penn State Law. David and Julian speak for about an hour, and they cover a lot of different topics like, for example, how does the application process work? Uh, what do ATCOMs look for when they read personal statements? Um, Is there a better or worse way to manage your waitlists? And uh, they even cover financial aid opportunities and how to maximize your chances of getting uh, financial aid. Towards the end of the conversation, we opened it up uh, for Q&A for Seven Stagers who were part of the live recording. And I found Julian to be very open and forthright in sharing his knowledge with us. So I do want to thank Julian again uh, for taking the time to speak with us. I found the conversation very helpful and informative, and I hope you will too. So, without further ado, David, take it away.
1: I just want to welcome everyone to this webinar with Julian Morales of Penn State Law. Thank you so much for coming. I know that some of you are perhaps seized with anxiety right now as you're waiting for your applications, and other people are probably just beginning to get a sense of what applying to law school entails as you look forward to the next admission cycle. So Julian is going to uh, let us download at least part of his brain tonight. If you don't know me, I'm David from Seven Sage, um, and I will be asking Julian questions. So without further ado, I just want to introduce him. Julian Morales has been the director of admissions at Penn State Law for the past four and a half years. Before that, he worked for the Johns Hopkins Carey Business School in a similar capacity. And he has over 12 years of higher ed experience, mostly in enrollment. He has two master's degrees, an MBA and a master's of education in higher educational leadership. Please welcome Julian Morales. Julian,
2: take it away for us. Thank you, David, I appreciate that. And thank you everybody for uh, tuning in. I'm really uh, excited to be chatting with you. And I think the goal of this is for me to share a little bit about Penn State law and and what we have to offer. And then of course, you know, get into more specific questions. I I really enjoy the Q&A part of it because I wanna make sure we're getting at everybody's questions. Uh, We don't have a whole lot of time. So I wanna make sure we're talking about what's most important. you guys. So thank you for taking the time. Um, I apologize in advance if anything on my end is a little spotty. I'm actually on the road currently in uh, Orlando, Florida uh, in a hotel. So the internet is not always um, up to par uh, with a lot of these things. So again, I apologize if anything's a little spotty, but please uh, stick with me, bear with me here. So we'll talk a little bit about uh, Penn State Law in University Park, Pennsylvania. We are located on Penn State's largest campus and University Park. Uh, we're a fairly small law school. We bring in about 120 to 130 students each year. This picture here is our building. So you can see we are blessed with a fantastic facility. Um, although we are on Penn State's largest campus, we are a bit Separated from the rest of uh, rest of the crowd, so we're technically across the street, self containing We have our own parking lot. You know, we have our own coffee shop, our own library, all of our own facilities, and um, you know, so it, it is a little bit removed, but still, students have the opportunity to uh, be a Penn Stater, but in all regards. In fact, I think that's one of my favorite things to tell students. It's kind of the best of both worlds. We have this. Small, close-knit law school community, but yet yeah, we're situated on this large, tier one, Big Ten research campus. So, everything that comes along with being a Penn Stater, you get to take full advantage of, and and we've made it a mission at our law school to take advantage of everything the university has to offer. So, not only do we have 21 different specialized fields of study uh, at our law school. But we also give our students up to 12 elective credits to take in any graduate program on campus. And that's at no additional time or cost to the students. So uh, it's something that we believe in that law touches everything, right? Law is in uh, all aspects of our society. And so we wanna make sure our students have the ability to cross-register with other graduate programs, other professional programs, be it in uh, the business school or healthcare or the school of public policy or international affairs or human resources or whatever it may be, one of the benefits of being um, at Penn State in University Park is that we have all these resources right at our fingertips, and so making sure our students have the ability to access them is very important to us. So with that you know, we are a true uh, interdisciplinary program. Um, In addition to the credits, we also allow our students to do a dual degree with any graduate program on campus. And I feel like that's something that's fairly unique to Penn State law. I don't think um, there's too many programs out there that have uh, the ability to do that or, or have the programs built around that. And so again, we saw it as a priority. A lot of our students like to have those options available to them. And again, students can do a dual degree with any graduate program. At Penn State, um, you know, talk a little bit about our class profile. I mentioned that uh, we bring in about 120 students each year. Uh, our students are coming from all over the country. Last year's class represented about 25 different states and five uh, foreign countries. Uh, average age of the class is roughly 24 years old. So you are seeing a lot of students take a gap year, maybe two years off. It does not negatively impact your application whatsoever. It's a question I get quite a bit. Uh, What about a gap year? What if I take a gap year? And and the answer is it's fine. Uh, If you feel that you need a gap year, uh, a lot of times it's recommended to take a gap year. So it does not negatively impact your application whatsoever. Um, Also, uh, we represent a, a wide array of diversity, right? So not just Uh, cultural diversity, but also obviously geographic diversity, uh, educational diversity. You know, we have students that represented, uh, I think last year's class represented 40 different undergraduate majors. So we have students from, you know, music and theater arts all the way through, you know, mechanical engineering and uh, biochem and all those things and everything in between. So there's obviously no prerequisite credits for law school. Um, And so we welcome uh, that breadth of diversity when it comes to academic majors and programs that uh, take up our our seats in our school. So it's one of the things that we really like to, um, you know, explore when reviewing applicants. And and, and that's the other thing, you know, uh, a lot of times moving into the admissions part of it, a lot of times students will ask what is, um, you know, most important in the application process. And obviously, of course, we're looking at your academics. Uh, The median LSAT score at at Penn State as of today is a 159. The median GPA is a 3.58. And so we are looking very closely at that. Now, that's just median scores. So obviously, we have students below that. We have students above that. We don't necessarily set a minimum requirement when it comes to GPA and LSAT, but you can kind of gauge where you're at based on the medians. And, you know, everybody's unique. So the other part of the application process is your personal statement, is your letters of reference, is things like that. And so we are practicing a holistic approach to the application process. Uh, We are looking at everything you give us. Uh, We're reading it very closely um, and we're making our decision best we can and finding, you know, which students we feel will do best in our program. Um, so there's a lot that goes into it. Our application is currently open. It will close on March 31st. For those of you that are interested in future terms, our application always becomes available on September 1st. Um, and when we practice, again, we practice rolling admission right through March 31st. So um, I feel like I'm, I'm speeding out of control here, David. So I want to bring some structure back to it. And why don't we kind of jump into maybe some questions that you would like to start with. And then that way that can... Maybe get me a little back on track.
1: Oh, sure, okay. I think first of all, I wanna clear something up. Can you help us uh, distinguish between the two Penn State laws?
2: Yeah, so I I figured that question would be brought up. I'm glad we're gonna tackle it early. So one thing uh, when exploring law schools at Penn State, Uh, There's actually technically two law schools under the Penn State umbrella. So if you think of Penn State, the Pennsylvania State University, it's this big, you know, uh, umbrella institution in which under that umbrella, there's 15 Commonwealth campuses that serve undergraduate and graduate populations. Uh, There's a medical school. There's obviously uh, professional programs like MBA and law school, et cetera. So um, for the law school, we have two. Um, We are Penn State law. We are located in University Park again, which is in uh, which is Penn State's largest campus. The other law school is Penn State Dickinson Law. They're located in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, which is about a, about two and a half hours, or not two and a half, about two hours away from where we are located. Um, you know, the truth of the matter is, I don't know much about Dickinson. Uh, we are two completely separate ABA-accredited law schools, and kind of give you the quick and dirty history on the law schools back in the mid 90s or so, way before my time, of course, uh, Penn State decided that they wanted to um, have a law school. And they had two choices, really. They could either acquire a law school that exists that had ABA accreditation, or they can go ahead and start their own and kind of go through the process. And so they decided to go the the first route there and acquire Dickinson Law, which was a standalone law school located in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Um, and for the longest time, the schools operated as one law school with two separate campuses. And then in 2014, uh, the university finally petitioned the ABA for separate accreditation. Uh, and we were granted separate accreditation in 2014. And really the, the reason behind the split or the, you know, quote unquote divorce, as you may, um, is that it was a logistical nightmare, I think, for both schools. Um, you know, we had the head of Beast in University Park. You had the dean. You had the admissions office. You had um, some other folks in University Park, and um, trying to make decisions for two campuses that are roughly, you know, two hours apart from each other, proved to be tougher than we thought. And uh, and that is one of the main driving forces. Also. I think for us and for them, we wanted to explore different opportunities. Again, we wanted to be a true interdisciplinary uh, program. We wanted to take advantage of everything that being on a research campus came along with. And, uh, you know, we weren't necessarily able to do that, again, um, you know, with the two the two campuses under one school under one roof. So, um, again, I don't know too much about Dickinson. I think what's most important to take from this is that we are – two completely separate law schools, separate application process, separate scholarship opportunities, separate academic programs. If you are interested in both, it's worth exploring both and making sure. I will say though that once students kind of visit one or or the other or both, they kind of clearly understand which one is best for them. Uh, We're fairly different, especially uh, campus wise and things like that. And so, so yeah, I mean, Penn State is a little bit confusing. I, I totally get it, um, but unfortunately, I don't know too much uh, more about them, uh, only about us.
1: Got it. Thanks, Julian. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your review process? So you know, if I submit my application on LSAC and it goes through the internet and it winds up somehow in your office, who looks at it? Does it go to a faculty committee? Are you the one making these decisions? Yeah. Um, we'd love so to I'll, just get some insight. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's a great question. Yep. So, you know, obviously first and foremost, everybody's applying to law school through the LSAC website. So I think that's important for those of you that may be just starting out, you're not actually applying through any of our websites directly. Now we have links on our websites that will redirect you to LSAC.org where you'll actually submit your stuff. And so if you go through that process and you're a little confused. Don't worry, you're on the right, you're on the right path. Um, You're submitting through LSAC.org. So, yeah, I mean, what happens is basically you have to submit all your materials to LSAC. So you're talking about all of your transcripts, all of your transcripts. So even if you took uh, college credits as a high school senior, you have to make sure you get those transcripts and send them to LSAC. Uh, What happens then is LSAC then produces a cast report, a credential uh, assembly service report, uh, which you have to pay for. Um, so that's something that is an added cost, um, but it is required by pretty much every law school. And what the CAS report does is it basically packages up all of your materials nice and neatly for all of the law schools. It provides a cover page that has your cumulative uh, GPA, it has your major GPA, it has all of your LSAT scores, it has where you're from, um, you know, letters of rec, all that stuff is included there. And so that takes some time. Um, so, But from the time we receive the completed application, we make it a goal to review every applicant um, and have a decision out uh, four to six weeks from the time we receive the completed application. The application goes through a couple of things. Um, you know, we do have multiple readers that take a look at each application. Uh, there are checks and balances along the way. We do have an admissions committee um, that is made up of myself the dean of admissions and select faculty members and it rotates every year um, and we meet weekly to discuss applicants and uh and and you know they're fit for the program and stuff like that so yes there are multiple checkpoints um you know at times it can be time consuming but we want to make sure we're doing our due diligence we feel that we uh, you guys deserve that i mean you spend a lot of time and exert a lot of effort in uh, putting these things together for us so the least we can do is make sure that we're taking our time with it, doing the best we can. And and like I said, we practice a holistic approach. So we want to make sure we're reading everything you give us, um, all the addendums, all the letters of rec, your personal statement, which obviously is a big part of your application. All those things are important to us. And so we're, we're taking our time, but also, again, trying to respect The applicants time and turning these applications around as quickly as possible so again it can take up to four to six weeks um you know we make it a goal in our office especially around this time because we're getting close to the deadline um, to try to turn these around a lot quicker. So, you know, we increase our committee meetings, uh, we re- increase the amount of times we uh, release decisions. So traditionally we do it once a week. So in March towards the end here, we'll do it twice a week. Um, so we, we try to speed it up a little bit, but I want everybody to be certain that, uh, you know, we are doing our due diligence with each and every application we receive.
1: Julian, when you're reading a personal statement, What's most important to you, the quality of the writing, the motivation of the applicant, or something else? Or does it just depend? Yeah, it depends, you know, but I
2: I always say this, and I believe this. Now, um, you know, we're all human, right? So if you talk to somebody different, they might disagree with what I say. Um, But I I think this to be true about the personal statement. I I think the personal statement serves two purposes. First and foremost, and, and to me most importantly, it's a writing sample, right? It is one of the only writing samples we have of you, right? Uh, in, in theory, this should be a polished uh, piece of academic writing, right? And so, and what I mean by that, obviously you're not producing a research paper or anything like that, but you know, there shouldn't, there shouldn't be any typos. There should not be any inconsistencies. Uh, you know, personal statement should be clear, concise, and to the point. And so for me, I think most importantly, it's how it's written right? Because uh, that is what you're going to be doing a lot of in law school is writing and and communicating your thoughts on paper. How effective are you in doing that? And so to me, I think, David, that's first and foremost. The the content, and I don't want to downplay the content because it is important, but the content to me is almost secondary, right? It's subjective. What, What I think makes a good personal statement, what resonates with me might not resonate with the next person. Um, but no one could ever argue with how it's written, right? Someone might say, well, um, you know, I can't relate to that, but it's written very well, I understand what they're saying, I get it. Um, I know why they wanna go to law school, I know why this is important to them. These things are important to reviewers and to um, you know the people looking at your application. The worst thing you wanna do is leave anybody guessing or anybody unclear, right? And so if I read a personal statement, and I have to stop and ask myself, you know, what was that? I have to go back and reread it. It's usually not uh, good for the the applicant, right? Um, if it's hard to read, then, you know, you want to make sure that you're going back and, and just making it um, a little bit easier. And, and, you know, you think about the personal statement, and and I had a really good conversation today with a student at the University of Central Florida uh, who, who told me, you know, I don't have... I haven't faced a whole lot of adversity in my life, right? I've had a pretty easy life. And um, I told them, I said, you know, that's the case for me as well. You know, I I haven't faced a whole lot of adversity and that's okay. Uh, You could stay within who you are. You could write about who you are, what your motivations are. And I, I think it's important that if you have a general prompt personal statement, Meaning, you know, some law schools will ask you specifically to answer questions, and and for us, you know, we just have a general prompt. It's it's important to think of the, the personal statement almost as the cover letter to your application. You know, if you're writing a cover letter to a job, you're writing about why you want that job. You're why, writing about why it's important to you. Um, you know, what you hope to accomplish. Um, and and the personal statement is no different. You know, if you start with why law school, uh, what has motivated you to do this? What do you hope to accomplish? And the most important thing there is to be specific. You know, I always use the example, people all the time will write about how they want to help people. And I think that's fantastic. Um, I want people that want to help people, but tell me who you want to help. How do you plan on helping them? Be very specific so that we have a very clear idea of who you are and what you want to do. And I think that really goes a long way.
1: Thanks. That's really helpful. I want to shift gears a little bit because I know that some Seven Sagers have found that they're on the wait list. So this may be different from school to school, but you know, at least as far as Penn State is concerned, and maybe as far as you know, what can a student best do to advocate for herself when she's on the wait list and increase her chances?
2: Yeah, you know, so I think first and foremost, you want to make sure that the school is aware that you are still interested, right? So every student that we put on our waitlist, they get a notification saying, you know, uh, you've been put on the waitlist, you must respond to us and let us know if you would like to remain on the waitlist. I think it's important to respond uh, as soon as possible, no matter what school or, or if that's their process or not, but respond and say, you know, I am extremely interested, you know, given the opportunity, this is my first choice or whatever it may be, however, however strongly you feel about that school, but make sure they know that you're still interested because, um, you know, chances are if, um, you know, they go to the wait, And, and a lot of law schools, us included, our wait list is not ranked. It's not weighted. You know, we're kind of uh, placing students on the wait list. And then when it comes time to reevaluate the wait list, that's exactly what we do. We kind of look at all the things that we have for each person on the wait list and we've reevaluated uh, and then make, make our offers based upon that. But, you know, we're obviously looking at those that have said, or, or at least first looking at those who have said, yes, uh, you know, this is something I still want to be considered for. Uh, so I think that's first and foremost, right? Um, making sure schools know your aware. Uh, I think something else that could be helpful, uh, it could really serve two purposes. It could be extremely helpful for the student and then also it can show their interest again, but don't be afraid to visit. You know, if you're put on the wait list and um, and, and you're really interested in a school, don't be afraid to visit. Because I'll tell you what, if you're given an offer off the wait list, schools are probably gonna expect a decision from you really quickly. So, you know, for us, it's usually a, a 48 hour turnaround, right? Because we're, we're, you know, time is something we don't have at that point. You know, usually these decisions are coming out in the summer, and we, we need to know fairly quickly. So if you're um, setting yourself up to where you've already visited some of these schools and you feel comfortable with making a decision that quickly, I think that's extremely beneficial for the student. Uh, also, again, it shows the school that, yeah, okay, she, she or he is, is very interested. Uh, they've now told us, they've now come on a visit. Um, you know, We feel pretty confident that if we make them an offer, you know, this is this is a good. There's a good chance that they might enroll with us, and so those are some of the things I would say. Other than that, you know, it's really a waiting game. Unfortunately, I think, you know, uh, for us, and, and you want to check with every school, but for us, if there's ever any new information, um, for example, you know, you're on the wait list and you retake the LSAT in June and you do extra, you know, you do much better. You could always submit that to us, and we could say, okay, well you know, there's new information here, we can go ahead and reevaluate this based on this new information uh, and then kind of kind of make a decision there. So, you know, every law school there is very different. Um, I like to say that we're we're very human in our office. So, you know, we, we deal with everybody on a personal level. And, and you know, so if there's new information that you wanna to present to us. Uh, it's not hard to get in touch with us and more times than not, we're gonna take a look at that and, and kind of reevaluate it based on that new information.
1: If a student wants to visit, should they email the admissions office first?
2: Yeah, so again, every school is different. For us, you can email the admissions office. We also give the students the ability to schedule it right through our website. So you can go right on our website, there's a schedule a visit button and um, you know you could, you could visit with us any day of the week, Monday through Friday. You could sit in on a live class, get a tour from a student. Um, but yeah, you could actually pick which day you wanna come. You could pick which class you wanna sit in on. Um, all that is, is fairly easy to, uh, to do right through our website or by calling our office.
1: Got it. Can we play a lightning round of good idea, bad idea, not sure? sure okay all right good idea bad idea or something in between um stopping into the admissions office unannounced and asking to talk to someone to tell them how how much you like Penn State
2: bad idea bad idea yeah um do you want me to explain or just say bad idea
1: I'd love to hear why yeah
2: (laughs) well you know um I I think in a perfect world that would be okay but uh for us we want to make sure that we are aware that students are coming so that we can prepare for them. You know, I think we want to be, again, fair to you and fair to our staff. And and one thing at Penn State Law is we have a fairly small admissions staff, right? So there's only five of us, and and that's made up of a financial aid person, um, our uh, dean of admissions, myself. We have an associate uh, director. uh, We have an admissions assistant. You know, so you never know. right? And if you show up, we could all be on the road. Like, for example, I'm in Orlando, Florida, right? If you show up tomorrow morning and you ask to speak with the director of admission regarding your decision, they're going to say, we're sorry, um, but he's not here, um, you know? And so that's why it's always a good idea to schedule a visit, you know, make sure that the people that you want to speak with will be there. Uh, again, we're, we're very open to conversations. We're very open to visitors, uh, phone calls, whatever it is you want to do. Uh, I just think it's best to make sure you schedule those visits because the last thing you want to do is travel any type of distance, uh, get to a place where nobody can help you. Um, and so, you know, make sure that we can help you. We want to help you. We want to be there to help you. So uh, please, yes, yeah, schedule something in advance so that we make sure we, we can take care of you.
1: Got it. Now, let's say that a student sends, you know, they they let you know that they're very interested. Let's say they even send a letter of continuing interest. They say why they're interested, for example. Good idea, bad idea, or not sure to follow up with a phone call in, I don't know, two or three weeks and just ask if they can tell someone over the phone why they would be a great addition to the Penn State law community.
2: Yeah, so this one I'm gonna say good idea. Um, I'm a firm believer in, and, and you know, again, depending on who you ask, they might not appreciate that answer, but mm-hmm. I, I say good idea. I, I think you have to be proactive in your recruitment. I think you have to, uh, and and I'm like this, so I, I can't, you know, criticize anybody else for being this way. I, I, I don't want to give up, you know, if it's something I want, I'm going to continue to. Um, keep after it. Now within reason, right? Like you said, you submit a letter, then two weeks, you know, you follow up with a phone call. Hey, I just want to make sure you got it. I'm I'm still very interested. You know, please let me know if I can do anything else. Um, And, and, you know, continuing to touch base uh, at a a steady pace, I think is is perfectly okay. And honestly expected Uh, again, if it was me in that situation, I would do it. Uh, It's, it's important again to be proactive in your recruitment. Nobody else is going to advocate for you except for yourself. Uh, obviously, you know we, you have spokespeople in the committee room, and but the more we know about you, obviously, the better we can advocate for you. You know, the better we can speak to who you are and and what you want to do and and why you're interested. You know, so uh, it makes it a lot easier for us to say, oh yeah, I know David. He's great. You know, he calls all the time. Uh, we have great conversations. I think he would be a great fit. You know, let's let's make him an offer. Let's give him a call and and make him an offer. So yeah, I think it's a good idea. Again, you wanna pace it, you wanna spread it out. You don't wanna call every single day. Uh, that's not gonna get you anywhere, but uh, but definitely you know, checking in every so often is, is perfectly okay.
1: Thanks, that's very helpful. Um, so can we shift gears again and talk a little bit about financial aid? Sure, yeah. Okay, so I'm just gonna give it to you first. Julian, how can students afford a law school education?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think, again, obviously this varies from law school to law school. But I I think in the last couple of years, what you've seen is this shift for, I would say a lot of the schools outside, ranked outside of the top 14, right? Uh, Maybe even some schools in the top 14, depending upon what type of student you are, uh, it's become very competitive as applications have gotten fewer and far between. You know, obviously, law schools have to compete for the best students out there. So it's actually a good time financially to go to law school. If you've done well as an undergrad, uh, if you've performed well on your LSAT, um, there's actually a lot of money out there to be had. Right. And so for us personally, um, in my four and a half years, I don't know anybody who has paid the full sticker price to go to Penn State Law. Uh, In fact, last year, 90% or more of our students have received some type of financial aid. Um, More than 50% of the class has received uh, 50% tuition scholarships or higher. Um, So again, we've been very, very generous with our our scholarships and our need-based aid. And and we do have both. We have merit-based aid, which is based upon your application. And then we have need-based aid, which is based upon your FAFSA. It's based upon um, how you've demonstrated need to our financial aid office. And and what we have is an application for for need-based grants uh, that is housed through the law school. So you actually have to fill out the FAFSA and that in order to be considered. So, um, You know, so again, I think it's very intimidating when you look at the websites or you walk around um, these law school fairs and you see $50,000 a year or $60,000 a year. But rest assured, I I think, and and again, you have to, once you start applying to schools, don't let it intimidate you. If you feel that you have the credentials to get into certain schools that you're targeting, Apply. Uh, You never know what's going to happen. A lot of us offer fee waivers, application fee waivers. Um, You never know what that scholarship is going to look like. And so it's best to apply, get all the information, gather all the information, and then kind of make your decision based on that. You know, something else to consider when tossing around the finances is total cost of attendance, right? So not just tuition. Um, You know, you want to look at uh, cost of living, you want to look at variety of things outside of just tuition. Now for us at uh, Penn State Law, you go to our website and the total cost of attendance is crazy. Like even if I look at it, I'd be like, there's no way it costs that much to live in State College Pennsylvania, right? But it's done on purpose. And and I think the purpose is, you know, they intentionally set those costs of living or, or the cost of attendance on the higher side, just to err on that side so that it gives the students more ability to borrow. Um, now you don't, and nor should you borrow uh, the full amount of loans that you're eligible for. You should borrow what you need. Uh, but for some, they do need that, right? Some are coming to law school with a family of four, uh, and they need a bigger house, and they need um, more assistance in that first year when, they, when they're when they not working and, and things like that. And so um, that's something to consider. I mean, sometimes those costs of living... Numbers are a little bit higher than what they actually are in real life, but, um, it is intimidating. Um, it is expensive. I mean, it's a time commitment it, it, it's going to cost you money. Um, very few, you know, these programs are completely free. Even if you get a full tuition scholarship, again, there's other things that you have to consider that will cost you money. Um, but uh, but again, I think the sticker price and the actual cost are two totally different things, uh, and it's worth exploring. I don't think you should rule anybody out based on what you see on a website. It, it's worth you know, uh, or even calling a law school and speaking with someone like myself. I, you know, if you call me and you tell me, hey, this is my LSAT score, this is my GPA. What do you think my chances are? And what do you think about scholarship? I'll I'll be completely honest with you. You know, obviously I can't promise anything based upon, um, you know, not seeing your completed application, but I'll be completely honest with you. You know, I'll say students that are scoring in this range and have this GPA are are receiving this much financial aid. Um, You know, that's something that, we do. We don't have any problems with doing that and, and making you aware of, you know, where you stand with us. So I think it's worth exploring. I think you know um, it is intimidating, but you should definitely still proceed um, to find out what the actual cost is uh, at each law school you're interested in.
1: Um, so I have a hypothetical situation. Let's say that I apply, and um, I get in. And you offer me a, a nice financial aid package, uh, gift aid. So you're offering me merit aid based on the strength of my application. Mm-hmm. And I also got into a couple other schools. You know, I'm from Pittsburgh. That's real. I really am. I got into Pitt, let's say, and very tempted by Pitt. And Pitt offered me more money. But I really love University Park and that building is just so cool looking. Can mm-hmm. I ask you for more merit aid? And if so, how? Yeah,
2: absolutely. I I think, again, um, we're all human, right? I think to some regard, we expect it. Um, I'm always open to having that conversation. I want to make sure everybody knows that, you know, I want to take that uh, pressure side out of the admissions process. And I I just want to be a person that you can speak to, right? And, And so we have a formal process for that Um, And and what we do is if you call me and you say, hey, same thing, same, you know, take that scenario. And I'll say, well, David, you know, what I need you to do is put it in writing, you know, shoot me an email uh, and then attached to the email. We'll ask. uh, And this is pretty common, but we'll ask for those competing offers. Right. So we'll ask to see the letter from Pitt. We'll ask to see the letter from. Whichever other law school, uh, and then we'll take that information and we'll go back to the committee and review it, and then you know decide on if we're going to increase your aid or not. Um, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. It depends uh, on a couple different things, and I can't give away all the secrets, but uh, it depends on a couple different things. Um, but but that is a conversation I'm always willing to have. Um, you know, and again, if, if you don't ask those questions, you will never know. And a lot of times you might be kicking yourself. You know, if there's really a school that you want to go to, it's worth asking. Um, and the worst is that you they say no, um, and then you make the decision that's best for you at that point. But it's definitely worth having that conversation.
1: Great, thank you so much. Let's open it up to some questions from our students now. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the audience, if you have a question, please raise your hand. We like to hear your voice and we'll also look at the questions that you typed up in the chat window in the question and answer box. But first, um, go ahead and raise your hand if you have one. Hello, Jonah.
3: Hey, how's it going, David? Good. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. Thank you. Hi, Mr. Morales. How are you doing today? I'm well, Jonah. Thanks for asking. First off, welcome to Florida. I'm out of Pensacola, Florida. So I know in Orlando, it has to be a little bit chilly as well.
2: Man, it was it was 30 degrees here on Tuesday with the wind chill. I thought I was back
3: in Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's uh, we wear our, our big winter coats down here for that. That's the coldest it gets. But uh, I, I actually had a question about uh, the admission process in general. So I'm a first generation law student, a uh, potential law student, and I'm learning a lot of this as I go through a lot of the webinars that David puts on through Seven Sage. I'm scheduled for my LSAT on March 30th. and I'm planning on taking it again because a lot of the admissions places that I talk with recommend taking it at least twice. Um, I've got a list of schools that I want to, uh, are interested in. And a lot of the uh, the issues that I'm, I'm married, so a lot of the issues that I'm potentially seeing happen are relocating myself and my family. So I've been uh, thinking about reaching out to schools, admissions offices and saying, Hey, I mentioned in this school, do you mind if we talk a little bit about it? Now I don't have my LSAT score yet, I have my GPA. I don't want to waste their time in talk in talking with me about potentially going there because obviously I don't have an but does reaching out and having a conversation with somebody in admissions office, help establish a rapport. And will it help me out later on in the admissions process that I've been reaching out even before we started the application process?
2: Yeah. Jonah, that's a great question. And, and I think again, um, I, I, I believe in it. I'll tell you over and over again, it's important to be proactive in your recruitment. It's, you know, I can't speak for every admissions office out there, but I can speak for ours. Um, I I have honestly probably two or three, maybe four informational phone calls scheduled every day, right? Every web contact that comes through our website, I extend an offer to them um, no matter which, which, um, stage of the process they're in. I extend an offer for a phone call, a 30-minute phone call, uh, informational phone call. I've spoken with freshmen in college. I've I've spoken with, you know, people that have been out for 15 years looking to get back into it, not really sure where to get started. Um, Yes, I think it it builds a rapport. Listen, I'm the one who's reviewing your application, right? And and if I look at that and say, I remember Jonah, you know, I remember him at, at the Uh, seven-stage webinar and then talking on the phone with him. And I I go back to our little database where I take my notes and I say, oh, yeah, you know, he's married. He's relocating his family, all that stuff. Um, Yeah, obviously, it it definitely helps. Now, Obviously, we're we're looking at that in... um conjunction with the rest of your application and all those things. But anytime you get a chance to have some face-to-face or uh, have that one-on-one with an admissions officer, especially those that are going to be reviewing those applications, um, you know, I think it's a bonus. Uh, I take it even a step further, Jonah. I I always tell our processing team, Hey, um, if, if these applications come across, send them to me because I want to be the one to review them because, um, oftentimes I want to be the one who calls you and, and, and says, you know, congratulations. And, you know, uh, we started this, you know, a lot of times I, I've, I've started with students that I've spoken with four years ago and now, you know, they're first year students at Penn State or second year students at Penn State. And, and it, it's really amazing. So I, I say, yes, I say, go for it. Again, I, I can't speak for every admissions officer in the country uh, for us, at least we welcome it. I welcome it um, anytime, you know, you need help. We want to be the ones to help you. So uh, I would say reach out and, and see if uh, you can get on the horn with a couple of these places. Uh,
3: you mentioned a little bit too, about having a, an admissions standing committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if this would be too forward. So please let me know. Cause this is a litmus test whenever I do my in-person visits. Cause as of right now it would be obviously be a phone call. Uh, do I would meet people as I go? Would it be rude to ask someone, Hey, who all was on the admissions teams that way I can uh, get a face-to-face interaction and uh, put a face to a, a name and shake the hand and kind of p- try to at least establish who I am that way everybody in the room has a whole concept of who this is as opposed to just one person advocating
2: well you know the admissions committee usually is at least
3: in our sense is kept
2: confidential you know we don't necessarily uh, publish which faculty members or or who outside of the admissions team is on the actual committee. So you could always, you know, for us, it's it's myself and uh, the assistant dean of admissions and we're always going to be in the room. Uh, faculty rotate and we do keep that um, anonymous. Um, so, you know, I think no matter where you go, you, you do want to Maybe request uh, when you're scheduling your visit, hey, is it possible to meet with a member of the admissions uh, staff, you know, uh, director, or assistant director, or associate director, someone that I can sit down to that, um, you know, they're reviewing my application or they can maybe put in a good word or they're sitting in that room, they could say, oh, yeah. This guy came and he visited he was great all that stuff but uh usually the admissions committee itself is is kept pretty hush hush but you can definitely meet with folks in the admissions office when you visit it.
3: at least with us again i can't speak for everybody i get the i get the idea from what you're saying in a lot of the september presentation that being as straightforward as possible is more helpful than being shy in the yeah. entire process yeah absolutely
2: absolutely i mean again you gotta you gotta do it yourself right you gotta be proactive you gotta lay it out there for people and and being real being you know human um you know helps to build that relationship on on both ends you know obviously we're recruiting you just as much as you're recruiting us It's, it's always funny when Students get that acceptance, and it kind of flip flops, right? And we're chasing them, and and, and all that stuff. And uh, I, I enjoy all aspects of it because, I, you know, at that point, hopefully, I have a relationship with the students that I've been working with. But, but yeah, straightforward. You know, we're we're humans, right? Um, you know, one thing I've learned working with attorneys, they like it to be clear, concise, and to the point, right? And so, making sure that uh, you can deliver your messages, obviously, in a friendly, <laughs> friendly way, but. Uh, making sure you get a point, your point across what you're interested in, what you want to do, all that stuff.
3: All right. Thanks, Jonah. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. Okay.
1: Let's call on Dorna now. Dorna, you can unmute yourself. Hi there. Hi, Dorna.
4: Hi, Julian. Um, Thanks, David, for putting this together. It's really helpful and informative. Um, My question is about Taking as I took the LSAT in January and submitted my applications, and um, the deadlines were January 31. I know very late, but I got everything in. So um, my question is: if you haven't heard back from schools, or if you get waitlisted, and you choose to take the LSAT again. How does that affect the school's um, treatment of your application? I mean, I do understand that if you are signed up for a later date when you submit your application, they will hold off. But what happens if you're kind of just taking a chance on the fact that uh, you may not hear back and you may get a higher score?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, again, Donna, I can't speak for every um, admissions office in the country. I, I could speak for us. I, I think, uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, anytime you have something new to present, To uh, to your application or to the admissions committee, be it an LSAT score or your GPA increased or something like that. Usually, those are the two big ones, right? Um, Then we will always we will always look at that, Uh, even for scholarship purposes. uh, Dorna, so I had a situation not this past summer, but the summer before were a student. She took the LSAT, kind of what you're saying. She bet on herself. She retook the LSAT in June. She had already been admitted, um, but she wanted more scholarship money, and she retook the LSAT, called me up on my cell phone, actually, and excited, said, hey, I got this score. I went up five points. You know, what can we do? Um, And it was a difference between, you know, um, I forget what she had at the time, but her, her new LSAT score increased her to a full tuition scholarship, you know, and so... We're more than happy to do that. Um, you know, if you have new information to present to us, uh, and even if you're admitted or you're on the wait list or you're looking for more scholarship, I think it's important to reach out to the schools, though, and see what their policies are. Now, not every school operates like us. You know, some schools say, nope, once it's in, it's in, it's done. You can't present anything new. Um, so if that's the case, you don't want to put yourself through all the trouble of retaking the LSA, LSAT if, if, you know, they're not even going to take a look at it. Um, but again, I think knowing the office, calling them, asking them what their policy is, uh, can I do this? If I retake it, will you reconsider the new score? Um, these are questions that you want to ask them so that you you make sure you have all the information you need. Great.
4: Thank you. You're
1: Thanks, Donna. Hi, Deidre. How's it going?
5: Hi, how are you?
1: Great. What's your question?
5: Well, my question is based on something Mr. Morales said um, earlier about um, the average age of students. I actually had a chance to speak with him, I think last week, uh, or either it was earlier this week. Um, and I wanna know more about the, the demographics of the school because although the, it seems like the average age is 24, mm-hmm. I remember 24. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a non-traditional student, you know, military spouse that's finally in a position to complete my education. So I wanna know more about the older population.
2: Yeah, you know, again, the average age, as you mentioned, is 24 years old, but we have students from, you know, uh, tons of students from 24 all the way up to, you know, one student who enrolled last year who had 25 years of work experience, you know, and and same kind of deal. he uh, was a, uh, an accountant. Wanted it was always a goal of his to go back and, and be a tax attorney of, of all things. But um, he uh, wanted to do that, and and um, and he did it. And so, you know, we value that. I think when we're looking at an application, um, you know, for us, it's not traditional, non-traditional. It's students, right? We we value life experience. We we recognize that uh, you know you might bring something very different to the table than a 24 year old or a 22 year old or someone who I shouldn't say I shouldn't attach an age to it but somebody who maybe has no work experience whatsoever or hasn't been in the real world quote unquote um I gotta remember you guys can't see me I keep doing air quote but um, so it's it's something that we value very much so um you know I, I think We have a good community. Uh, State College, in general, is a fantastic place, in my opinion. I think uh, there's a lot of great programming for people of all ages. Um, It's a great place to raise a family. I myself am raising my family there. I've I've chosen it, chosen that place to raise my family. Um, But um, you know, I I think again, we value that. I think uh, everybody brings something different to the table, and, and for. Uh, some of our older students, it's that perspective, um, and and also honestly that mentorship. I, I think we have a really special thing going at Penn State, uh, where we have a fantastic community, not not only in Happy Valley, but or not only in the law school, but in Happy Valley in general. But you know, we have a, a comprehensive mentoring program where we have uh, you know students before they even step foot on campus, they get an alumni mentor, they get a peer mentor, they get somebody to help them. Um, and so lending that hand, having that mentorship uh, really goes a long way. And so I, I think for that, you know, we're not just going to let you sink or swim. We're going to try to team you up with somebody, make sure they're helping you. Um, and Deidre, did you have a you know, specific question about the, the older students or were, were you just kind of? Um,
5: just because them? you mentioned, the you know, the, the 24-year-old age. And, you know, as a follow-up to that, I'm also a small business owner who would actually be transferring to your school so I wanted to know more about I know typically um, when you submit a resume along with your application package they want it to be one page so I've got you know federal and you know internships clerkships along with my my uh, business experience and that's very difficult to keep on one page um, given what my background is
2: yeah And and let me clarify, you know, I think it's important to keep it on one page if you are somebody who has one page worth of life experiences, right? Um, I don't think, at least for us, uh, I don't think it's anywhere on our website or on the application. um, But we don't want to limit anybody in that. I I think, again, if you have uh, pages of resume, uh, legit resume stuff, you know, then you want to submit that to us. You want to make sure we're aware of it. Uh, you know, Deidre, you could always submit addendums to your application as well. If there's something more that you want to tell us uh, about whatever it is. Um, but, um, but yeah, you can definitely make us aware of all those things. I mean, that's what makes you who you are. And so um, by all means, please submit that stuff with your
5: application. Okay, great. Thank you.
1: Good luck, Deidre. Thank you. Hi, Paul. How are you?
2: Uh, hello. Can you guys hear me?
1: Yeah, sure can. Cool.
2: Uh, I'm doing okay. Um, thanks for asking. And my question is kind of odd. Um, so I'm currently uh, working in Taiwan, and uh, I've been preparing for the LSAT, and I plan on taking it in September. And uh, I was just wondering, is there any clear disadvantage in applying to a school in the states while I'm overseas? Like, am I gonna, you know, miss like, you face to face interviews or stuff like that? Oh. No, I mean not for us. Uh, And and, you know, um, you maybe heard us talking earlier. Before we do everything on Zoom anyway, so very seldomly, if we're going to interview somebody, do we make them come to campus, or uh, you know, do we do remote interviews? You know, so if it's uh, regarding the application process, more times than not, if we're going to interview you, which the interview for us is not a required portion of the application. I know maybe some schools do have that. Uh, Very few, if any, none come to the top, uh, off the top of my head, Dave might know more than I, but um, no, I don't think you're going to miss out on anything. I don't think there's any clear disadvantage. now. The only disadvantage I would foresee is is actually visiting law schools or, or getting a feel for law schools, or um, you know, there's only so much you can do via the website. But uh, obviously, you know, that, that is what it is, right? Um, you're in Taiwan, you can't necessarily make it. So I think attending things like this. Um, earlier, I was saying before we started, you know, I personally do. Uh, online student panels. I do online career service stuff. I do online information sessions specifically for students that can't make it to campus because I want to make sure everybody has all the information they need in order to make the best decision for themselves. So no matter where you're looking, I would encourage you to look into their online educational series and see if um, there's potential to speak with students or Uh, speak with the career service team or the financial aid department or whatever it is. But no, I think there's no disadvantage during the application process itself. All right. Thank you, So As long as I reach out, I'll be fine. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. Good luck, Paul. I'm going to take a question that somebody typed. Hello, I was wondering if you would be able to share how the admission board views applicants who are reverse splitters, low GPA, high LSAT score, and for applicants who have taken the LSAT more than once. Does this have a lot of weight on the application?
2: Um, it's a great question. You know, so let me start by asking the uh, the last part first. Um, so at Penn State Law, and I, I think for the most part, almost every law school is going to take your highest LSAT score that you provide to us. Um, and so, if you have a 155 and a 159, you know, we're going to look at the. We, we can see all of your test scores, but we're going to take the highest score for the review process. The only uh, instance where I would say would warrant a explanation would be if you took the LSAT once, did not do so well, took it the second time, and you did extraordinarily better. I'm talking like a 10 point increase or, or higher, right? Um, you wanted then. I think it's in your best interest to uh, just explain it a little bit um, because a lot of times, you know, students go in, they take it cold, right? They don't prepare and they don't do very well. And then they, then they prepare and uh, they, they study, they, they enroll in classes, they do all that stuff and then uh, they really do well. And so that's, that's explainable. You could explain that. Um, You know, what we're trying to avoid is, is maybe somebody that, um, I don't know, I, I think it's something that is worth explaining an addendum how you prepared for your LSAT, if that is something that had occurred. Now, if you've taken it three times and you've scored within three points each time, then you know there's no explanation needed, you can see that. Um, reverse splitters, low GPA, high LSAT score. Uh, again, I think it's in your best interest to explain the low GPA. Um, a lot of times I see it, uh, a lot of times it's maybe due to somebody who enrolled in a college major that was not suitable for them, i.e. something in the STEM, you know, the sciences, the hard sciences, and they just could not get past organic chemistry or whatever it was. And their GPA really took a big hit because of that. And then they transitioned into political science or they transitioned into, um, you know, something else that, that interested them in their GPA skyrocketed. So I think if that's the case, explain it. Even if it's not the case, um, I've seen students who have, who have had to work full time during their undergraduate career. Tell us about that. Students who have, uh, you know, got uh, sick uh, during their, their first year or, or during college and, and their GPA took a hit. Tell us about that. Uh, students who suffered you know, tragedy in their family or amongst their friends. And it really took a toll on their studies. Tell us about that. Um, I think in any regard, you want to try to explain your low GPA. Um, You don't want to make any excuses. You want to take some ownership and and just explain what exactly happened. Uh, But we will look at this, uh, you know, um, you know, we will have a serious discussion about it. Um, You know, I think a low GPA is something that worries a lot of faculty members because you know they want to make sure that you're going to show up and do the work. I think that's a big part of it. Um, and so if you can explain it, if you can give some context around it, I think it's very helpful.
1: Unfortunately, we probably only have time for one more question, and I'm going to ask Belinda to unmute yourself.
6: Hello. Can you hear me?
1: Hi. Yeah, we can. Yes. Oh,
6: okay. First, I just want to thank uh, uh, you, David, and the Seven Sage team for helping me. Um, it's my personal journey um and also thank you for hosting the webinar um actually the last point that you made uh was is very accurate to me and my that's what my question is based around um i'm a splitter i have a really embarrassingly low gpa due to a lot of factors such as uh well i don't want to do my sob story personal statement here but there's, there's some suicide in my personal family and um, I really took a, a hit in my first few years of undergrad. Um, I was wondering if, well, I've been focusing a lot of my efforts on solely the LSAT because I know that a really good LSAT can uh, offset some of the issues that a low GPA can um, bring up for me. Um, I'm, I'm relatively young, so that also kind of relates to the other question. Um, I actually am uh, 23 so i might have more time to space um i guess my remaining years on this earth for um, work experience and do you think that i should try to balance um or offset the low gpa with trying to get into or build up my work experience with a law related job or focus on my uh, lsat score because I'm, I'm not i know you don't know my life but um I really have. I quit my job to focus on the L which I know is, is can be good or bad for, depending on the person. Sorry um, mm. if I'm ranting. I am not really good at speaking to strangers.
2: That's okay. No, no, that's okay. Um, you know, I, I think I think there's there's two things that that I would I would say, and and obviously with with what. Brief thing, brief explanation you gave me there. I, I think um, if you are a splitter, right, uh, you know, meaning you're going to have a higher LSAT score and you have the lower GPA. I mean, there's nothing you can do about the GPA at this point, right? It is what it is. Um, the only thing that could really help to strengthen that is if you do, uh, you know, score, uh, have an LSAT score. But, but Amongst the medians, or uh, over the medians, or something like that. You know, that's one instance where the LSAT can balance the GPA. But again, I think it's important to kind of lay out that that story, uh, Belinda, um, as far as you know what happened and being you know very uh, specific and and and. And I think what really the admissions committee is looking for is like reassurance, right? Like, hey she gets it, right? She's going to be fine. She's going to be fine. We can admit it. Because, you know, the 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 thing we're trying to avoid, and for everybody out there, we're trying to avoid, you know, we don't want to admit somebody just to admit them if we feel that they're not going to be successful uh, at our law school, right? That would be immoral. That would be unethical. You know, we don't want to just bring somebody on campus to take their money and then send them packing when they don't do well, right? We, we don't want to do that. Um, and so that's why we have these decisions or these these processes in place or these, these conversations. So you want to make sure that you're reassuring um, whoever's reading your application that this is in my past. I, I feel very confident that I can do this and I want to do this and this is why I want to do it. Um, now the work experience part, yeah. I mean, work experience always helps to strengthen an application. It, it, it's not required, right? Like we don't say in the website, you have to have, it's not like business school where we say you have to have three to four years experience. Um, but it's something that always helps to strengthen the application. You know, if, if we're sitting there having a conversation and we say, well, you know, she's saying she wants to do all these things. She's worked in a, a law office. Um, she understands what the the day to day of a lawyer is she. She understands what they're doing, how it's done, and she still wants to do it. Okay, well, you know, there's some reassurance there that okay, yeah, she's she's she understands. Uh, she's been around it. She she gets it. So I mean, obviously that could always help. Um, you know, I don't I don't necessarily think you need like five to ten years of it if, if law school is what you want to do. But if you want to do an internship or something in the meantime between now and applying to law school. Uh, yeah it's definitely something that could help you
6: awesome thank you
1: you're welcome thanks belinda unfortunately that brings us to 10 o'clock so we're out of time julian i want to thank you so much for you know pausing and doing this at 9 p.m after uh, mm-hmm. what was probably a very busy day for you and sharing your wisdom with the seven stage community and i also mm-hmm. want to thank everyone who came if you are waiting for a decision and you're feeling tense I feel for you. I'm sorry, but um, you know, Seven Sage has a really great discussion forum full of other people in the same boat. So I hope you uh, find some like-minded people that uh, you know you can share this process with and feel a little bit better about it. Thank you again, everyone, for coming, and especially thanks to you, Julian.
2: Yeah, thank you, David. I appreciate it. I appreciate all of your your time and attention, and hopefully you got something out of it. Uh, I am always available uh, for for conversations offline. Um, David has my contact information. If you want to reach out to him, I'm sure he has my permission to share it. So I'm more than happy to, to help you if I can. Please feel free to reach out. Uh, thanks again, guys. I hope everybody has a great uh, rest of their night. Bye-bye.
0: Hi there, it's JY again. Thank you for listening. If you want more content like this, please let us know. You can email us at podcast7 with your comments, questions, or suggestions. I do read every single email that we get. And if you enjoyed this podcast, the best way you can let us know is to leave a review on iTunes. We uh, check the reviews pretty obsessively. So if you say something nice about us, we'll definitely read it. Okay, thanks again, and see you next time.